0: Welcome to another episode of Unpopular Opinion. This episode is all about BMI. And honestly, some people listening literally might get like PTSD from hearing that term. You might actually start gagging throughout. And fair enough. Honestly, chats about BMI are usually humiliating and just full of shame. And hopefully, this will make the term much less scary because of just how randomly it came about. To my absolute outrage, of course. I'm about to spill some juicy truths, so strap in. Now, a lot of the information I'm going to go into was foreign to me too. Like I'm in shock a little bit about what I've heard, about what I've found. But here it goes. What is BMI? Well, BMI stands for body mass index, and it's a value derived from a person's weight in kilograms divided by the square of height in meters. Okay. How did BMI originate? Well A guy called Adolphe Quetlet, a Belgium astronomer, mathematician, statistician, and sociologist, was the first person to apply statistical normal distribution to characteristics of human populations in the 1830s because he wanted to determine the characteristics of the average man. So he came up with the Quetlet Index, now known as the BMI. He gathered information on the height and weight of different populations though the formula was based solely on the size and measurements of French and Scottish participants. But he wasn't a physician, and he also had no particular interest in the study of obesity. He was clear about one aspect of the BMI, though, and it was never intended as a measure of individual body fat, build, or health. BMI was a way of measuring populations, and it was designed for the purposes of statistics, statistics. Again, not individual health. Um, what, like, is that not what it's being used for today? <laughs> baffled. I I was baffled when I saw that. I was like, how has it? What's going on today then? Why is it still being used this way today? Okay. So weight wasn't considered a primary indicator of health until the early 20th century, when U.S. life insurance companies, dollar-dollar bills, began to compile tables of height and weight for the purposes of determining what to charge prospective policyholders. So money has just like come in so early on this one. Like Quetlett's index, however, the tables were deeply flawed, representing only those with the resources and legal ability to purchase life insurance, Um, weight and height were largely self-reported and often inaccurately, and what constituted an insurable weight varied from one company to the next, as did their methods of determining weight. And some included frame size, so like small, medium, or large. Others didn't. Many didn't factor in age. Uh, they were mostly men, and lifestyle variances were much smaller back then. If you think to now, where you know physical fitness and strength varies actually quite greatly between individuals. And insurers were sales agents. They weren't, you know, medical doctors. Um, but despite their lack of medical expertise and the inconsistent measures being used physicians began to use insurers' tables as a means of evaluating their patients' weight and health. What? That sounds legit. <laughs> Crazy. So this trend reached its peak in the 1950s and 60s. And by the 1970s, look, medical science, they were, they were looking for the most effective measure of weight. Here comes Ansel Keys, another researcher, and he conducted a study of seven thousand five hundred men from five no from five different countries, predominantly white, uh, aiming to find the most effective of medicines existing measures of body fat that would be both easy and cost effective. And of course, the BMI was the strongest of three weak and imperfect measures, and Quetlet's index, which was largely forgotten, um, enters the world again, but for individual health care, which it wasn't designed to do. And in order to make full use of this new index, a shared definition of obesity and overweight was also needed. So such a definition, a classification of body weight based on BMI values was proposed by researcher George Bray, US researcher in 1979. His classification of BMI ranges were actually quite interesting. So the normal range was classified to be um, very low risk. So it posed very low risk. Overweight range posed low risk. Obese range posed moderate risk. And severely obese posed high risk. By 1985, the National Institutes of Health had revised their definition of obesity to be tied to individual patients' BMIs, and therefore it became public policy. The US National Institutes of Health Conference in 1985 then decided that the normal range cutoff point was a BMI of 27.8 for men and 27.3 for women. So this is different to what we see today. Today, the normal cutoff is 25. Um, it also we don't differentiate for men and women, so there we go. Also, during this time, uh, John Garrow, a British re- British researcher, uh, pushed for the BMI cutoff to be as set as they are currently. So, with that BMI cutoff for the normal range to be twenty five, and he wanted that normal cutoff to actually be called desirable. So the BMI cutoffs were based on mortality risk um, as, I mean, I guess as shown in the research, but I haven't looked into that research. And it showed mortality, that mortality risk started to rise beyond a BMI of 25 and below um, the BMI of 20. And then, well, It looks like they just thought that the increment of five would be easy to use and good to look at. So 30, 35, 40 to describe class one, two, and three obesity. Um, I had to listen to Fiona Willis podcast on this and it was stated that this wasn't clinically meaningful. Like the numbers didn't really mean anything. Um, The only maybe clinically meaningful numbers were the BMI cutoffs of 20 and 25 when talking about mortality risk. Maybe. (laughs) It was also found that higher body weight was associated with early mortality in younger populations, but higher weight in older age groups were associated with, it was associated with improved lifespan. But the BMI normal range didn't change for age, even when this was being demonstrated in the research. So it was saying that we should stay a certain weight our whole life, even though we know biologically as we age, our weight changes. John Garrow continued to argue that extra weight just adds stress to the body, something the older population doesn't need. Well, this is just bias, bias, bias. The research is saying something, but the researcher is advocating for something else. In 1997, the World Obesity Task Force actually thought that they should... uh, change the name of overweight, the overweight category, to (laughs) pre-obese. How presumptuous. (laughs) And this was just really for no reason. Um, And also it's weird because a lot of people in the overweight category don't actually continue to go into the obese category. So it's very presumptuous, like very bizarre. In 1998, the National Institutes of Health in the U.S. once again changed their definitions of overweight and obese, substantially lowering the threshold to be medically considered fat to fit in with Europe's classification. So what was a BMI of 27 point something being normal? It was being reduced to 25. And that second change just paved the way for a new public health panic, the obesity epidemic. And overnight, a lot of the population in the U.S. were considered overweight, even though their weight hadn't actually changed. So that's the history of BMI. Honestly, how strange. (laughs) It's important to understand that, you know, you could be the same BMI as someone else, but be very different in so many areas, like strength, diet quality, genetics, physical fitness, height and age. Just looking at BMI means we're not accounting for anything else that contributes to health and disease. I did have a look at the CDC website and it says at an individual level, BMI can be used as a screening tool. I hope not by itself, but it's not a diagnostic of the body fatness or the health of an individual. And yet there is a, there is actually a diagnosis code for overweight and obesity, suggesting that it is still being used as a diagnosis. So yeah, I'm sure it is still being used. I just want to re- reiterate that you know BMI is is supposed to be used just for populations where we can you know predict with relative accuracy the prevalence of disease. Um, but there is just no way of predicting that a single person will get a specific disease and when. That's just not a thing. Where are we? That was a lot, but I hope it was the information you were looking for. We're going to take a quick break, and then up next, I chat to Kara, a very good friend of mine, who shares her encounter with using BMI, but we also touch on some very interesting aspects of diet culture. We'll be back in a second. Hi, Kara. Welcome to Unpopular Opinion. How are you going? Good, good. Thank you for having me.
1: I'm very excited. I'm just so proud of everything you've done. So well done. I'm very proud.
0: Thank you, thank you. I've known Kara for a long time now, uh, probably since year eight, and we're now 24 and Cara's almost 24. I'm not going to put her in that age yet.
1: <laughs> no, please don't.
0: How dare you? <laughs> um, so we have sort of uh, went through all those teenage years together, puberty, yada, yada. <laughs> I'm sure diet culture came in there. Um, we'll get to that. <laughs>
1: oh, oh, yes.
0: Yes, but I guess I wanted to start with, and this is sort of the place I usually like to start with, by asking, you know, what was your relationship like with food growing up?
1: Mm-hmm. Um. I've had a lot of thinking time about this and I actually think that it was pretty good. It was a pretty balanced childhood in terms of food. Like I never felt external pressure to not eat certain things Mm -hmm. or um eat a certain way I guess like in our house we always had a variety of foods um so it was definitely a really well balanced childhood in terms of, you know, things weren't necessarily labelled as good or bad food. Mm. We had a pretty balanced diet. Um, we, you know, were allowed to eat sugar and all those sorts of things. So nothing was ever restricted, which I think um, was really helpful in terms of how I view food now. Obviously, mm. there was, there's been times where subconsciously or you know consciously I don't know which one it is Mm. but I would put that pressure on myself um and internalize that pressure but I never felt it from friends or family or anything like that especially when I was younger
0: yeah yeah Yeah, that's yeah, again, that's that's really good because, yeah, that's definitely changed, I think, a little bit nowadays. And I think it's it's not that um, I mean, I don't know, it could sometimes it's um, parents own internalised diet culture nowadays and they just sort of accidentally displace it onto their children. But it's also that like fine line of, you know, how do we make sure that our kids are getting the right nutrition um, without shaming them? around mm-hmm. food and i think yeah at the moment it's such a fine line to get that balance right um, so i feel for parents i really do i think about a lot like how i would approach the situation
1: mm-hmm.
0: when i like if i have kids so and i'm always like hmm, this is not as straightforward as it seems like you know yeah Hard one, yeah. hard one. Yeah, it's it's super tricky and
1: I think about that a lot as well with my job. I'm obviously mm. around kids a lot and there's definitely a fine line between making sure they're eating the right foods and making sure they're getting a balanced diet with, you know, all the food groups and all the necessary
0: mm.
1: nutrients that, the, that they need um, as well as not not projecting those ideals and norms on what's good food and what's bad food and things yeah. like that. So, yeah, I definitely would sympathise with with parents and people around children that, you know, they're, they're doing their best. They're trying not to project those things So because they're so ingrained in our culture mm-hmm. that sometimes it just it just comes out, you know.
0: Mm. And even like the – I'm not sure if you ever had this, the um, like clean plate – Sort of uh, the need to clean your plate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We had that. We, we had that.
1: It was, um, if, you know, no dessert until you finish your mm. dinner. And I think <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned that because I still feel to this day this need, or not necessarily need, but like. drive yeah yeah Yeah. you know if I don't if I don't finish my meal Mm -hmm. or I don't you know I don't like what's on Mm -hmm. my plate or something like Mm -hmm. that like I'll feel this guilt or this need to
0: to eat it
1: which is so strange but
0: I had that too actually like um definitely like you need to finish all your food and I guess like I understand where that is coming from like that Yes. Um. What? Why we're being told to do that. They want us to eat, like, the vegetables and mm-hmm. whatnot before we have the dessert, which was seen as nutritionally inferior. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we come to learn that, you know, if you have a balance of everything, it doesn't really quite matter. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, and I just... I would be like, oh, how am I going to do this? Because, of course, you want your kids to have all the nutrients and and stuff, but you don't want to be intervening in their own um, intuition and hunger and fullness cues as well.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So yeah. hard. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I guess over this time, so we were talking about your your relationship with food, but how was your relationship with your body?
1: Um significantly worse than my relationship with food Mm. I would say like I can definitely recall specific moments from my childhood when I would compare myself to other kids or you know even going back like we've spoken about before going back to really, you know, middle of primary school, which is way too young mm-hmm. to be worrying about those sorts of things, and way too much pressure. Yeah. Um, comparing myself to other kids and other girls in my grade or my friends, and thinking, I always thought that, you know, I was a chubbier kid. Which, looking back on it now, I was, I was a child. Like, yep. I was a kid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's ridiculous but at the time I thought oh my gosh like I'm so much chubbier than this person or that person and my school uniform or this clothes you know they fit differently or something like that um so I definitely Mm. it's something that I've struggled with you know throughout my life
0: Mm. definitely yeah yeah can you pinpoint like a an age where that happened started to happen or is it hard to tell
1: it's probably a bit hard to tell which I think is a sad Mm. it's sad that I can't remember a time where it wasn't really on my mind um I don't know probably like eight Mm. eight maybe that's
0: probably around grade two or grade three so yeah eight or nine I reckon I think it the same thing I would I would say maybe year three but like I'm not totally sure it's just that would I just remember my experiences throughout those years and I just remember that yes weight would have been um definitely something in my mind back then Mm -hmm. um yeah very young very young Mm -hmm.
1: Way too young, way too young. Makes me really sad thinking about it. that I wasted so much time worrying about those sorts of things when, like, it's just so unnecessary. I was, we were kids. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, it's it's a little bit different now, but, you know, kids shouldn't be worried about those sorts of things.
0: Yeah, especially when it was so, um, the perception of ourselves was so untrue. Mm -hmm. Like we view, we look back and we go, oh no, we were quote unquote normal looking. Mm -hmm. But back then we were like, no, no, no. Like, I I mean, I knew that I was like, no, my thighs are too big. Mm -hmm. No, this and that, like, you know, and it wasn't true.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And especially for, I would, I would generalize that both you and I probably had the same activity levels too, like as a kid running around at recess and lunch, doing, you know, you did basketball, I did netball, I was dancing, I was doing those sorts of things. So mm. eating fine, what what was there to worry about? Yeah. You know, I was doing everything, you know, quote unquote, right. Mm-hmm. And especially as a kid, that's the main thing, you know, as mm-hmm. long as you're happy and healthy, then the other stuff it shouldn't even factor into your perception of yourself.
0: Mm-hmm. So we can say that, the um, fear of weight gain, the fear, the you know fat phobic views started basically back then, at mm-hmm. at a nine nine years old nine years old, mm-hmm. <laughs> and now it's even earlier. Like um, I feel that even kids as young as like four are having these tendencies, like to think um, differently about their bodies. And it's just like, oh, it makes me feel ill.
1: Yeah, I know you spoke about it in the last episode too, about the influence of social media and mm. that we're so exposed to those sorts of things now, which, you know, has its pros and cons definitely. But yeah, yeah I think I think exposing kids to those those things younger and younger now like we have no control over what they're what they're seeing what they're thinking so Mm. I think that has a lot to answer for the perpetuation of diet culture
0: yeah absolutely um so this episode is really like what I spoke about in the recording part was um BMI and the history of BMI and um, holy moly, <laughs> like mm-hmm. it it does astound me that even though the history of it it just basically discredits um, how it's being used today in an individual setting in a healthcare setting. We are still using it that way, and it's not being like publicized or announced that it should not be used this way. Like, we are expected to think that, yeah, this is normal. Like, I'm just going to calculate my BMI to determine health, body fat, everything, which it wasn't supposed, it's not designed to do that at all. And it is said on, like, websites that it's not supposed to diagnose all these things. But we, are like, a lot of us haven't heard that. Have you ever heard that BMI wasn't intended to be used this way?
1: No, I had no idea. And... I, I honestly think it wasn't until probably this year that I found out that a BMI was a load of B. Like, mm. I had no idea. And I had never really formally had my BMI questioned or anything. Um, but that was pressure I put on myself. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I had... I had no reason to really think about it or worry about it aside from my own internal pressure and the need
0: to, I don't know. It's like to determine your own health. Like you're trying to determine that for yourself.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was like, well, should I, should I be worried? Like, I don't know if I need, if this is something I need to think about. And obviously I didn't even try and calculate my BMI or worry about it until probably like maybe last year or the Mm. year before. It wasn't even on my radar. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, maybe I should check and see because I reckon I probably put on a little bit of weight since I finished high school Mm -hmm. and my activity levels dropped a bit when I stopped dancing. Um, And so I was like, oh, maybe I'll just... Just see what the fuss is about. You know? Yeah. And I thought it was a predictor of health. Like I thought it was this black and white. If you're this height and this weight, this is what's mm-hmm. going on with you. Which is insane because you chuck it into a calculator on the computer and they're like, Yep, you're overweight, yep, you're underweight. Like how how does this computer know what anything mm-hmm. about me? what I'm eating they don't know what exercise I'm doing they know nothing so
0: it's like yes that is the whole point like it there are so many other factors like as I said in the recording we could be the same BMI but have totally different lifestyles and Mm. all these other factors and it's just like well if if lifestyle is supposedly so um you know important for health Mm -hmm. which I think we absolutely um put too much importance on it at the moment like we need to rein it back a little bit but like if it's so important then why are we taking it out of the equation when looking at BMI yeah
1: a hundred
0: percent it just makes no sense like it it literally (laughs) makes me go crazy (laughs) and the fact that You know, so like the CDC website was saying like, yeah, it's not a diagnosis. You can't. Mm -hmm. And yet I'm like, it is a diagnosis. There is a diagnosis code for it. So Mm -hmm. in healthcare settings, I'm sure that that's still done. And I absolutely feel that because I get the referral obese, referral, like overweight as a dietitian, And I'm just like, that doesn't tell me anything. Mm Mm-hmm like what do you want me to do (laughs) you know oh oh crazy do you think that that actually when you saw that um figure or category come up for you um whatever it was did you feel like this did you question your health
1: oh yeah a hundred percent I saw it and I was like oh my gosh am I like overweight like
0: Mm.
1: I all of a sudden was like oh okay well if, if I lose X amount of kilos or change this or change that or change my diet, exercise more, and I lose this weight, is this automatically going to make me the, you know, ideal weight in quotation marks or mm-hmm. make me more healthy? You know, like it definitely made me question. It made me question a lot and it, it put more pressure on, I think. Yeah. Yep.
0: Absolutely, and it's funny because when we say, "Oh um, should I should I exercise to lose a certain amount of weight to get within that ideal?" you know, if you just increased the exercise, like, and it doesn't have to be crazy. It's just like to the you know normal to the adequate amount recommended, I don't know, whatever that is but if you, if you actually just focused on exercise, then the exercise itself is what impacts on your health. It's not the weight lost from the exercise. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. So, Mm -hmm.
0: so it totally just takes the weight out of the equation. And do you think if, if health, like if weight and health weren't tied into like together so much, do you think that taking the pressure off appearance would help actually achieve better, healthy lifestyle habits?
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. I, it makes me, it makes me question a lot of that sort of exercise stuff as well. I know you and I have spoken a lot about this in the past that I just struggle with finding like the right type of physical activity and the exercise that I like. And I definitely think that like, I could go to the gym and mm. I could do this, this exercise and I could work out at the gym but when I do that that's not because that's what I enjoy like I don't enjoy going to the gym and being inside and trying to lift some weights and using this machine and that machine and feeling uncomfortable that's not what I enjoy and like if you do great go for it Mm -hmm. but if if I don't enjoy it why am I doing it I'm obviously doing it because I think that there's going to be some sort of reward which would be weight loss yeah like if 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 the weight was completely out of the picture are people still going to be doing that sort of stuff like I struggle to find something that
0: I enjoy so yeah I do ask like clients sometimes um what would you be doing if weight wasn't a factor And Mm -hmm. it's usually uh, like, sometimes it's like, I would be doing this, but I wouldn't feel bad if I wanted to rest, um, you know, that sort of stuff. And it's just like, yeah, it's crazy. It is tied into appearance and weight a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I, yeah, mm, it's just, oh my God, so annoying sometimes, but I mean, yeah, we just live in a society that puts this emphasis on our appearance. So Mm -hmm. how can we not feel like that? Oh, exactly. In terms of diet culture, where is the pressure coming from mostly for you personally?
1: Um, look, when I was younger, it was definitely probably more internal because I thought that that's what I should be doing. Like, mm. I can't really pinpoint a specific external factor mm. from when I was younger, but definitely growing up, um, I mean... Like, you and I were in the same friendship group at school, and we spent all of our time together throughout, you know, the past, like, 10 years, I guess. Yeah. Um, so, definitely in high school, it sort of shifted to seeing other people talk about diets and um, other... You know our classmates talking about this and that and what food they're eating and you know we all eat all together and stuff obviously at school so I think it shifted a bit to seeing what everyone else is doing and mm-hmm. thinking okay well if everyone else is doing that maybe I should be doing that too yeah um which is you know cliche stereotypical peer pressure type yeah like oh I should I feel guilty now for bringing this chocolate bar for recess like everyone else mm-hmm. is eating carrot sticks like whoops I don't know maybe I should be doing that too
0: yeah like and I probably I mean I was in it I was in diet culture like I I've been there I'm not someone who's like you know totally you know diet culture affects everyone it can affect Mm -hmm. everyone it affected me too especially year 10 um so I wasn't probably the greatest person to be around back then I was probably like you know and it was you become so wrapped up in your own lives Mm -hmm. and your own weight issues and food issues that you just don't really you just don't really like focus on anyone how anyone else is taking this
1: no 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 one's thinking like everyone's concerned about themselves Mm. so you know no one's intentionally thinking oh I'm gonna start this diet and make all my friends feel bad no one's Mm. thinking that but um you know it still happens now like I still know people that say stuff like I don't eat chocolate or I'm on this diet and I can't eat this and that which like I'm not doing that so whatever you know you I'm I can't speak for someone else that's making those decisions but I definitely compare myself to yep. other people and find that that aspect really difficult when I when I compare my own food habits to other people and that still happens today mm-hmm.
0: you know oh absolutely and Of course, we absolutely compare ourselves, but also, you know, the reason why we compare ourselves and we feel like we should be doing what they're doing is because everyone seems to think it's so important. Like, it is very, like, it's a very important thing to do. Like, you should be doing it. Um, Mm -hmm. But also, it's very much praised. Um, People will think that, wow, you have have amazing willpower. Like, even when I was... Wrong. yes exactly um they will literally sort of start idolizing you and your willpower and I actually did find this in high school like in year 10 oh god knows like I did not have like chocolate for a year I'm um, honestly I was like pretty stupid but whatever anyway that whole fact like people would it's not like I would actually um outright tell someone about what I was doing but people would um, sort of maybe pry and it maybe was to do with my appearance changing a little in terms of weight like I'm not too sure um, just asking what I was doing what I was eating exercise yada yada and it was definitely like there was a power shift which mm. I found really well now I found like I find really bizarre like there is a superiority of being able to um control your food intake and exercise you know x y and z for however many days a week um Mm -hmm. and that you would be inferior if Mm -hmm. that if you weren't doing that
1: yeah no it's funny that you mentioned the chocolate thing because I had completely forgotten, but a few years ago, I think it was when I was in uni, Mm. um, some friends of mine, we decided that we weren't going to eat chocolate as well, which is just, anyway. Um, But, like, you know, it worked for a while and then we had (laughs) set a date at the end where we were going to go you know, get ice cream and chocolate and stuff. And there had been, like, plans, I guess, to try and do it again, but those never worked. They never eventuated again. Like, yep. I think everyone was just like, why did we do that? Like, yeah. it what purpose did it serve? We ate it. We started eating it again eventually. So Correct. I'm not sure why we was doing that. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, and it didn't, like, instill actual healthy dietary behaviour. It was like a... it's quite a negative behavior when you look at it in terms of mentally and um yeah it just didn't really serve for the long term you know yeah 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 very bizarre very bizarre and going back to the BMI like I find what's most frustrating is that the only research that's being publicized is the research that Makes obesity look like it's just the worst thing for our healthcare system, for the person, mm. for for health in general, and mm. there is so much other research that totally contradicts this, um, mm. but that's not being publicised. Like yeah, which is it's crazy. Literally
1: yesterday, when you texted me, I googled. I just googled is BMI accurate to see what would come up. And like the first thing that comes up is that pretty much it's not accurate, obviously. Mm-hmm. So if that, if, if it's so, it's not pushed or publicized, obviously, but it's so easy to just look up is be my accurate. I could have easily done that back, you know, a year or two ago when I actually mm-hmm. looked up the bloody calculator, mm-hmm. I could have just looked up is it accurate and found, no, it's not and saved myself a whole lot of time and worry. But I didn't. And I just was like, Oh, BMI, I've heard about that. Let me mm-hmm. calculate mine and see how I fare, you know?
0: Yeah. But I also think it's like, even if you do look it up, you totally, you don't believe it um, mm-hmm. until, I don't know, maybe it needs to come from a professional, um, mm-hmm. but you you choose not to believe it because it is so weight is so ingrained in our society as is something that we need to focus on. So well. Oh yeah, but but of course, when it comes to um, the consequences of obesity, people are freely, you know, sharing all that information, um, and everyone sort of takes it in their stride, because maybe you aren't facing the world as a as a fatter person, so it's mm-hmm. much easier to ignore, you know, yeah. what's going yeah. on. Um, and I also found, like, you know, how the BMI range cutoff is for normal is 20 to 25 or 18.5 to 25 now, but something around that. There's like a study from 2011 said that the lowest incidence of uh, early mortality was from a BMI of 25 to 35. So that's the considered overweight obese category. Mm -hmm. like that's not being aired that's not that i just think it's so sad that the public is only seeing one like one one part of this yeah. of this story like let yeah. people choose how they want to approach if there's con- like contradictory research yeah definitely like i honestly like when i was looking at all this i was like whoa because i didn't know like The full history of it, and just knowing that, I was just like, "Oh my gosh, what's happened here?" Yeah, yeah. And you know what? My mum actually brought it up because I made her listen to what I (laughs) had recorded, and she was just, she was just like, "Oh, you know what? I actually calculated my BMI the other day," and I was like, "Why?" (laughs) Come on. And she's like, "Well, I was losing weight because." You know, I had been sick. So she had lost weight and she was concerned about it. Fair enough. You should be concerned when it's like that. Um, and she was like, so I just wanted to calculate my BMI. And, of course, like what she says was that um, she was still considered to be within the normal range. Mm-hmm. And, of course, because BMI doesn't account for you being sick and losing weight or you losing your appetite and losing weight, which are bad signs. Like, these yeah. are not good signs. Um, yeah. And But, of course, you're going to still be in the normal healthy weight range when, yeah. even if that happens because it doesn't take that into account. So that means it cannot take health into account.
1: Yeah, that's so true. I didn't even think of it in that aspect.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: for example, if someone was just outside of the – quote unquote healthy yeah. weight range and all of a sudden they lose, you know, all this weight so quickly, very unhealthily, and they calculate their BMI and they're all of a sudden considered healthy. But, mm-hmm. you know, what were the lengths or how did they lose that weight, you know? I didn't Absolutely. even consider the fact that, you know, there's no there's no um like tracking of weight involved or yeah looking at previous weights or previous health and those concerns and things like that. It's just a standalone number that doesn't yep. take any
0: any other factors into consideration, which is, oh gosh. Well, I guess that's where, you know, that the most frustrating thing is that's what my job as a dietitian is. Like I'm going into everything. I'm going into past history, past, you know, relationships with even like family members and that usually ties into food. Like, it's just mm. all of that because at the end of the day, health is psychological, health is spiritual, health is everything, and it's mm. not just even diet and exercise. There's so many things that mm. come into it. So how can we, like, take that out when, when we are so, like, we are advocating for this mental health space and yet we are also contradicting that by taking that out of, you know, health when we talk about food?
1: Mm-hmm. mm Yeah, yeah. definitely.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, that's that that's it. That's all the questions I wow. had for you. Oh, wow. <laughs> I know. Um thank you so much for coming on and talking to me. Um it's been a pleasure.
1: Thank you. I'm I'm so happy that you chose me for this this episode because we've had many a conversation about, you know, this type of this subject, I guess. So no, it was good to good to chat to you about, you know, BMI and all those sorts of things. So thank you. <laughs> no
0: worries. <laughs> all right. I'll speak to you soon. Thanks. I really loved chatting to Kara. I think this conversation highlighted the huge influence of peer pressure, making comparisons, and social media in engaging in disordered eating behaviour, but also the social hierarchy that forms when we look at weight. Last but not least, the fact that BMI is not an indicator of health because it completely omits so many other factors. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Unpopular Opinion, and we'll be back next week. <laughs>